George Kilpatrick, inspiration for the nation, celebrating people we feel good about. Pleased to be joined by Syracuse Police Chief Kenton Buckner. Uh, always good to have you on the program. Uh, and, you know, it's always good to toss it up a little bit and just say, hey, that was a good conversation. But, Chief, first of all, good to see you. And, and our congratulations in order. Uh, how do we look at the victory of Mayor Walsh in terms of your status and employment uh, as Syracuse Police Chief? I think that we should uh, first look at that as a victory for the city of Syracuse. Uh, I think that uh, if you look at the margin of victory there, I think it was clear to the voters who they felt most comfortable with uh, being the, the, the shepherd uh, for the city for the next four years. Uh, I'm certainly uh, pleased and, and proud to be a, a member of the mayor's uh, executive team. So we certainly feel good about the results. Now we have to continue. Uh, the upward trajectory that the mayor was able to uh, create during his first term. Yeah, let's, let's, so um, would you have left the city if, I mean, obviously if Khalid won, he said he was going to replace the police chief. So are you going to stick around for the next four years? Uh, I'll be around until I uh, decide that I may want to do something different or, or that the mayor decides that he wants someone different uh, in the position. Uh, you, you do ask an interesting question, but I do think that sometimes people forget about that the, the chief is part of this marriage too. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So that's why I ask, you know, you know, right. are you are you are you committed to this relationship? I am committed to this relationship. That's that's good to hear. Chief, a lot of concern about crime in the city. You certainly heard that uh, expressed by residents when the mayor was doing many of the debates and town halls, the opponents were basically saying that. And the mayor was very specific to say, certain crime is down, certain other crime is up. But for the average person in the city, it feels like crime is up, even though statistically certain kinds of crimes are down. How do you, how do you explain that to the community who's feeling differently than what the statistics say? Well, what you're ex experiencing is people are sick and tired of being sick and tired. Uh, so we can talk about that over the five-year average, overall, our crime is down 15%. Overall, our crime this year compared to la last year is down 12%. Violent crime is up 2% compared to last year. Property crime uh, is down 16% uh, compared to last year. But if we want to look at where violent crime happens in our cities, uh, th there are certainly certainly places to where that's more prevalent than others. Uh, and if you live in those communities or you live in those neighborhoods uh, and you hear my, myself or the mayor talking about, you know, overall crime is down, but you still hear shots fired every night, it's not going to feel like crime is down. Mm -hmm. uh, if you yet had another member of your family uh, that was up in upstate hospital uh, in the trauma center for stabbing or, or shooting, it doesn't feel like the crime is down. Uh, if you turn on your five and 10 o'clock news every night and you see that there's been uh, uh, aggravated assault or a robbery or a shooting or, or God forbid, uh, someone's been murdered, you don't feel like crime is down. Uh, we also have to realize that we live in a very digital age. Uh, crime is instant now. So mm -hmm. when you hear about things that are going on, it's instantly posted to you uh, on websites and social media, uh, on the, the uh, media website. So we have that constantly uh, in our face and in our ears. Uh, and it feels like that it's always going on around us. Now, let's not be naive. Syracuse has significant challenges 
that, that are historical uh, with violent crime uh, in our community, even though 80% of the crime in this city uh, is property crime, the, the violent crime numbers is what usually makes the headlines. So I understand this, that how people feel about that when you talk about, you know, some, some of the things are down uh, and that uh, it maybe doesn't feel that way, uh, but that's all uh, very much so an indicator that we need to continue to focus on trying to reduce uh, violent crime. And then the most important piece of, of that is that to ensure that everyone uh, in our community feels safe. When you, so uh, you, you obviously have to have a full force to do that. Uh, the force isn't full. And so now you have that challenge, right? How do you, and then and I have a follow-up question about the force, but let's talk about manpower. Do you have, and people power, I guess, do you have enough people to, to, to enforce uh, and to, uh, I guess, to serve and protect? Do you have enough? We are struggling mightily, uh, despite some of the success that we're having uh, again, with the with crime from our previous conversation, uh, you know, about a year and a half or so ago, you know, the, the Common Council voted down uh, the contract that was ultimately passed. Uh, but that began kind of this cascading uh, impact in our in our agency to where people begin uh, to leave the agency, rather through, through retirement or resignation, uh, and we've seen that over the past. Uh, year and a half. Uh, that's certainly not to point fingers to say that that's anyone's fault. Most cities across the country are, are experiencing that. Urban communities, suburban communities, state agencies, law enforcement is a very, very difficult profession uh, to recruit for today. Uh, and, and Syracuse was not spared from that. We probably lost somewhere in the neighborhood of 80 to 90 police officers over the, over the past uh, year and a half. And that's a big impact to our agency. Uh, our authorized and funded strength is 425. We're certainly well below that today. We have 35 candidates, I mean, uh, recruits that are in the training academy today. They are scheduled to graduate on December the 19th. Uh, then they have a 12-week field training uh, uh, officer uh, experience that they will go through before they're released to go solo. So we have somewhat of a small relief Coming, but it's certainly not keeping up uh, with the level of attrition that we're currently experiencing. Uh, we're also uh, currently uh, in the process of getting ready to hire another class that will begin the last week of January, first week of February. Uh, and this week we did a, the, the starting of that process uh, in meeting with the initial candidates. Uh, and I will tell you that that pool of candidates is down 43% uh, less uh, candidates in the pool than we had for this current class. Uh, so that's a very, very alarming to us. Uh, we, you know, we don't operate from a, a sky is falling uh, standpoint. You know, I don't think it's uh, effective for, for leaderships to, uh, to subscribe to that. Uh, but we certainly do have a sense of urgency uh, and recognize that we need to do more and maybe things differently in order to try to remain competitive uh, to find the, the few handful of individuals uh, who still have an interest in this profession. You're on mute, George. And on top of that, Chief, you're also trying to diversify the workforce and recruit officers of color. How are you doing with that? We're, we're having incremental uh, progress with that. I think we're up a little over 2% or so doing uh, my tenure here with, with the agency on recruitment of minorities. Uh, the class that we have uh, in right now, the schedule to graduate December the 19th, I believe there are six or seven different foreign languages uh, in that class. There are multiple uh, people of color in the class as far as several, uh, uh, also several women 
uh, in that class. So we're doing really well uh, with recruiting women. Uh, we still struggle with, with people of, of color, black and brown uh, folks. That continues to be a challenge, uh, but we have been making incremental progress with that. Uh, in addition to that, we're waiting on a report to come back from the Department of Justice. Uh, they did a top to bottom of assessment of our recruitment and hiring process, uh, and we hope to have that to begin the implementation pro uh, process of the, the uh, suggestions of what we should do to ensure that our recruitment hiring model is reflective of 21st century uh, pillars. So other communities have had success, or have they? Or how have other communities done it? And if they've done it successfully, is it because they are in a pool of resources or in a community where there are more, there's more people available to recruit? Or, or what's the deal with why we're struggling so much and continue to struggle as a community to recruit officers, uh, officers of color to the Syracuse Police Department? Well, there's no question that the, the strained relationship between police and the black and brown community, uh, I believe, has an impact on that. Uh, if, you, if you're talking about recruiting locally, uh, if we go outside the city and, and the state and then nationally looking at recruiting individuals, it's always been an uphill battle to recruit people of color uh, in this profession because of the historical uh, relationship or, or lack thereof with black and brown communities, well, and that remains a challenge. Let me ask you this, there's, there's a narrative that law enforcement is the enemy of black people. How do you, how do you, how do you counter that narrative? Well, first thing, we push back against that narrative. Uh, that I think that we certainly uh, are not naive to, to, to say that uh, clearly there are things that have went on uh, in this profession and in the city of Syracuse uh, where there's been behavior involving police uh, and members of the black and brown community. We have to acknowledge that. Uh, but I think it would be foolish for anyone to use a broad brushing statement uh, and say that the police are the enemy uh, of black and brown people uh, but because we, we know a couple of things that uh, uh, black and brown people are disproportionately victims of crime uh, and black and brown people when asked to describe uh, the, the individual who has harmed them, they disproportionately describe uh, individuals of, of color. Knowing that dynamic, there is a significant um, I guess volume or, or increase of our contact with black and brown community that makes that whole uh, relationship dynamic uh, a difficult one. Uh, but we certainly have to make sure that we are aware uh, that that perception that, that you described does exist uh, and we have to work on that. Making yourselves, uh, 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 ourselves a diverse police department is one of the, the key ways of doing that. Uh, in addition to that, you know, the, the, the mayor was successful in getting uh, a residency requirement uh, for the police officers in the class that we are about to hire uh, in late January, early February will be the first class that has that rule uh, that's in place. So what is the rule months, chief? What is the rule six chief? Six months after the graduation uh, of those individuals, they're required to live in the city of Syracuse uh, for five years. Five years. Yes. Right. So could that, so, and so for some that might be an incentive for others, it may not be, right? You're exactly right. Because one of the things that we've learned uh, early uh, in our process with this current group that we're recruiting is that we received back of 10 or so uh, applicants that said because of that residential requirement, they were not interested uh, in the, the city of Syracuse for, for a, a job opportunity. Uh, we didn't see something that would 
make me believe that that is a key to the 43% reduction uh, in applications that we had, uh, but it certainly was measurable uh, to where we were able to take note of that. Uh, but uh, I think overall that reduction is because of the unwillingness or, or disinterest of people in the profession in general. You know, uh, Chief, this, this, this next question is gonna be kind of uh, to, to look at you as a leader. What are the things that you're encountering as an African-American male in authority over a predominantly European workforce and in the community? What kinds of things are you encountering? Well, you know, the people will, will often ask me questions uh, about those kinds of things. And, and I will tell uh, people that there are distinct differences of, of being black and blue. Uh, obviously being blue, some of the, the resentment or the turbulence that our agency, our profession receives uh, in the black and brown community. You know, I feel that. Okay, I, you know, some of the resentment that uh, I, I feel as a, as a chief uh, being a part of, of the profession, uh, it's a real thing. Uh, being an African-American in this, in this profession, uh, it's also a, a real thing. You know, the I've never felt as if, uh, you know, someone mistreated me or, or, or did something to me because, uh, because I happen to be a, a black male, uh, I would not be able to point to, to something for that. Uh, do, the, do I think that the fact that I'm an African-American uh, in a predominantly white profession, that sometimes that people feel some type of way about you for that, I'm not naive enough to think that that's not probably uh, the case for, for some people as well. Uh, well. Police are taken from society. We're a microcosm of society, and we know that race matters. Uh, I think at the end of the day, uh, the majority of, of police are going to look at you. Are you competent? Are you capable? Uh, do you care? Uh, and, and do you have a plan uh, for, for the city, for the agency, and the men and women who are charged uh, with carrying out that job? Uh, but I will tell you that uh, there's no question that race matters in our country, race matters in, in, in this profession. And, and along those lines, Chief, is there pressure from you to uphold a system that some feels, back to this issue about the historical narrative of law enforcement, if you want to be a change agent and some people feel that the system that you're required to uphold may oppress people of color and limit your effectiveness, how do you deal with that? Well, I'm a do the right thing kind of guy. And there's certainly, uh, I think sometimes uh, an added pressure being an African-American from the black community uh, that I'm going to be able to wave uh, a magic wand uh, and fix the things that they have been disappointed about for, for 25 or 30 years. Uh, you know, I have the same challenges as my white counterparts who may have tried to make some of those changes. Uh, I will tell you from when you talk about topics like uh, uh, someone being uh, oppressed or mistreated, those are cultural things. Uh, they also happen to be probably the most difficult thing that a chief has to encounter uh, is changing a, a culture. You know, I can change policy, I can change the, the uniform, and I can change our vehicles. You can do that with the, with the snap of your finger. But when you change the minds and hearts uh, of individuals and how we interact 
uh, with, with the community, uh, and, and more importantly, that, that how we do that collectively, it takes time to, to do those things. Uh, but they have to clearly know what's expected of them. Uh, they know that they're, that they're going to be supported when they're right, and they have to know and understand that they're going to be held accountable uh, when they don't. Uh, I think that we've done that uh, in, in the three years uh, that I've been here, but that change uh, is, is usually doesn't come fast enough. Uh, and, and in some instances, we don't see on the surface uh, the many improvements uh, that are being made or, or that have been made. Uh, and sometimes you don't get credit for those things until 10 years down the road. Yeah, I'm glad you, you talked about that because, yeah, I mean, people do expect and have the expectation, oh, uh, as an African-American uh, police chief growing up in the community, seeing some of the things that people perceive, right, that you're going to come in there and uh, break it down and 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 be able to 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 make change in doing so. That is an expectation, and so uh, when it doesn't happen, right? Or there may be pressure. Then, and this is where I was going with that. There might be pressure to uphold that same system uh, rather than change it. And so, uh, I wanted to well, get the thoughts about. Well, I think that goes back to my first point of I, I'm gonna do the right thing kind of guy, mm -hmm. uh, and 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 doing the right thing by definition. Uh, I may see myself doing the right thing that you as a citizen may feel like that this is a continuation uh, mm -hmm. of, of what we've seen uh, in the past, or, or the officers may feel uh, some type of way about that. Uh, but I think that if you look at uh, what we've done with internal affairs, if you look at the relationship between police and the Citizens Review Board, if you look at the level uh, of discipline in this organization versus what it looked like prior to my arrival, uh, we believe that we've made measurable uh, improvements in all of those areas. There was, uh, I know that the, there was a story just out a few days ago that part of the money received from the feds was used to do some training in the police department. What was that training that you your officers received? It was cultural competency uh, for law enforcement. Uh, and then we also added our non-sworn civilian workforce in that training. Uh, so members of the entire agency got that training and including the chief staff. Uh, it was uh, done by an expert uh, on the topic. Uh, I had a relationship with him and familiar with his company uh, out of uh, Denver, Colorado. Uh, it was very well received uh, positively uh, by the workforce which is a, a very difficult topic uh, to teach, uh, but he certainly has a, a unique way of, I, I guess, uh, making the room comfortable uh, to get uncomfortable uh, and, and then have some very sobering conversations about some of the things that we need to be aware of. What would you say would be your key takeaways for the chief and the, and the workforce? What were the key takeaways when you talk about cultural competency? Because that really means uh, and, and how would you define that, right? And I would define it as being aware of people from diverse backgrounds and, and how your presence might affect how you interact with people from different backgrounds. Well, the, I think the, the, the foundation of that would be regardless of what the background or the, the race or, or, uh, or place of origin of these individuals, we should show everyone dignity and respect. Uh, and then the other part is, uh, 
take the time to understand why people are doing or saying uh, what they're doing. Uh, don't always uh, assume uh, that it's a negative towards you or, or that someone is being aggressive with you. Seek to understand uh, some of those things that, that, that we may be observing going on in certain pockets of, of our city. And then when we understand those things, we should be able to better respond to that. So I think that we, when we recognize that we have a diverse community and we recognize that there are differences uh, in our community based upon uh, that diversity, uh, that we should always start uh, with respect, regardless of whatever the situation is. And if we can do those things, uh, more often than not, we're going, going to be uh, on the right side of that situation. Uh, Chief, talking Chief Kenton Buckner, Syracuse Police Chief. Chief, there was a recent, there was an officer involved shooting recently. Uh, the policy of the police department is to release those names in three days. There was sort of a back and forth between you and the Attorney General's office about the release of those officers' names. Eventually, you did. Can you explain what that was about? The Attorney General's office and the governor came up with uh, an initiative to where all officer-involved shootings, uh, police action that result in someone's death would be uh, investigated by the uh, State Attorney General's office. Uh, very early in that scenario, uh, we were approached by leadership within the Attorney General's office that asked that they be the sole uh, source and central um, location for communicating about the case. We said, okay. Uh, this was also something that was asked for by citizens. This was asked for by media uh, that we wanted this third party entity to be responsible for the investigation. Now, if anyone that knows anything about uh, something as complex uh, as an officer involved shooting, you certainly don't want two different organizations speaking about uh, a central investigation. So we honored what the uh, Attorney General's office asked us to do. Because we're still very early uh, in learning how to navigate uh, um, in a cohesive way, both the agency and the investigating party with the Attorney General's office, there are things that need to be worked out, some of these kinks, uh, and ultimately uh, it was agreed upon that we could release the, the officer's name. Going forward, we're going to stick with our 72 hour window that we will continue to do because it's been worked out with the Attorney General's office and they have an understanding that we're going to continue uh, that um, practice that we've had. But those initial points to where we were not releasing that is because we were asked by them and we complied uh, that there would be no communication from our agency. All questions were to be referred to them. And for whatever reason at the time, they chose not to release that information. So there was sort of a, you would attribute that to new policy, miscommunication. Now we have a new policy that we're going to, we're going to go back to the policy that we've always had. This is how we're going to do it. Partially. Okay. They're still the lead investigator. Mm -hmm. They're still the lead as, as far as decisions that are made about the case. But some of the initial administrative uh, points that we would always provide the public uh, and, and actually got accolades uh, about that of our, our, our level of, of transparency. Some of those initial day things that our agency uh, had developed a good reputation of doing, we're going to continue those things. The meat and potatoes of the investigation and intimate details about the investigation will be done by the Attorney General's office. Uh, Chief, you talked about having some unfinished business for, and certainly let's go back to crime, how I, how I perceive my safety in my community, walking down the street, sending my kids to school, 
and and let me start. Let me go back to school. We had some. We've had some incidents uh, in schools, and uh, particularly up at uh, one of the high schools. I believe it was Henniker High School. I know that the community during all of the protests last summer asked for the police to be out of the schools. Is that still what the community is asking you for? Well, let's be clear. A small number of individuals from the community asked for that. The community did not ask for that. You had a small number of loud, vocal individuals that were asking for that. When we asked the parents, and then we being school system, when they asked the parents, when they asked the school system, and generally speaking in the community, that was not what the community uh, was asking for. So let's be clear on that point. All right, so um, let, me, let, me, let me just say something about that. So what you're saying is, what we saw and the, you know, the, 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 the coalitions that were started, you're saying that those coalitions weren't representative of the people? Uh, I'm saying that the statement that the, the community wanted the police out of the school system was not representative of the people. Okay, well, go ahead. Because, so, so, because if it was, do you think we still be in the school system? So, and you said, I'm down. I'll, look, y'all don't want me in there, fine, I'm down. but. You're, you're saying that, you're, you're clarifying that point. You're saying that, and I don't know who the people are, you mean you received notice? What, how did you get this information? What information are you referring to? How did you get the information that the community at large was not represented by the groups that were saying police out of schools? Because only the individuals representing that, that activist group, protest group were saying that. In our community meetings, we were not getting that. From our community stakeholders, we were not getting that. From the parents uh, of the kids, we were not getting that. From school officials, we were not getting that. Uh, from the, the kids themselves, they, they did these surveys. They were not getting that. So the only individuals that were saying that were the small group of individuals that were the leadership uh, or, the, or at least the vocal uh, pieces uh, of the individuals that we had during the protest period. But but what's so what's your relationship with this this entity? Because that these entities were also very active in asking and demanding police reforms. So you do. I mean, obviously, you got to work with these folks. We certainly do. Just because we disagree about something doesn't mean that we don't want to work with individuals. If that were the case, we wouldn't have a, a 200 page uh, police reform document. Uh, but, you know, disagreements are part of a democracy. Uh, but uh, we certainly have been working with individuals uh, from those groups. We have a committee uh, that is now charged with ensuring uh, that we deliver on the promises that we've made within that police reform document. Uh, that progress is, is going well. Uh, I would ask you, the, your viewing audience, to go to our website to look at the progress and the updates uh, that the city posts for that. Uh, and you will see that many of the things uh, that uh, are some of which that have been completed, some that are in progress, uh, and then others that are still on our to-do list. But basically, back to the how I feel in my neighborhood, what's unfinished for you in that regard so that the perception of my neighborhood isn't safe, where I'm hearing gunshots, where there are you know things happening, drive-bys, et cetera. How do we, what's unfinished about that perception and the reality of safety in our community? Well, the reality of it is, is what in what you will continue to see uh, me to do is first of all, you need 10 other 
directors on this type of call for this conversation and stop solely asking the police that question. You if said that you, last time. You did if, say if that. You think what progress? Police, okay, so let me ask you. What hang progress? On, hang on. If yeah. you think the police by themselves are going to make you feel good about your community, you're naive. Mm. And and so you said something about that last time. You were very, very uh, strong in your opinion that the police aren't the only ones responsible for keeping our community safe. And I'm wondering, since you made that statement, who's come to the plate to say, I'm down, let's have a conversation, let's move this thing forward, or have anybody else come to the table? And if not, who do you want at the table? Let's do this again. Who need, who would you like to see at the table? The other 10 people, who are they? Let's name drop, because we can't keep, this is not theory anymore. This is family, this is, this is uh, community safety. Who needs to be here? Well, you need the community here. Uh, representatives from, from the pillars of our community. Uh, someone representing families, someone representing education, someone representing social services, uh, mental illness, substance abuse, uh, someone from the clergy, someone from the business community, someone from government. All of those pillars need to be at the table uh, with a single goal in mind of, of keeping our, our city safe. The and only you, report card that we find ourselves looking at is the police uh, so report card. Are these entities not at the one table now? I, I believe that these entities are at a table. Uh, I, I don't think that uh, often enough we're at the same table. Okay. All right, so how do we make that happen, Chief? Because the thing is, so. I, I would like to see the chief go in front. You, 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 said, you said it here. Let's make a big splash. This is the, I need this. I need a, uh, can you call a meeting? A, can a, you? a splash. A splash. No, a splash. I don't mean a splash. It doesn't have oh, to be wait, a splash. I was going to get you on that word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to be a splash. What I'm saying to you is let's get on the phone and let's make it happen. If well, that's what we want to happen, you feel me? Well, I, I think that some of those things are, are in progress. The, the okay. mayor is in the process of standing up uh, uh, a unit or, or a piece of, of city government that will be responsible for addressing violent crime in our city. Part of that is having someone who is responsible for centralizing the resources that we have in the city, at least to be able to know who provides what and, and where they can be located, and then who are the contact individuals for that. In addition to that, the organizations that uh, say that they are a, a part of this collective group to address th these problems in our community, how are we measuring that? How are these organizations performing? Police department included, city government included, but we wanted to centralize to be able to take a look at everyone who has a vested interest uh, and what's going on in our community, and how are we all performing? Chief Kenton Buckner, anything else we need to know about what, I know you're doing, you have the PAL. Um, what do you want to say about how that's working and its effectiveness? Jimmy Oliver uh, is a rock star, do, doing an outstanding job. We picked the right guy for uh, the right uh job uh, in our community. He is truly a square pig in a, in a square hole. Uh, we've had over 500 kids uh, that have participated in, the, in that program thus far uh, in its short time uh, of existence. Uh, we're also in the early uh, part of having a youth advisory council from uh, representatives from our uh, public high schools. Uh, we also 
our expanding shot spotter on the north side where we did not have that footprint, which will help with that. The north side is about 47 or so percent of, of the city's population. So that's going to be good. Uh, we're also fully implementing tasers, which is a less lethal uh, for, uh, tool for the officers to be able to have with them uh, to try to reduce uh, deadly force uh, encounters. Uh, and then also you continue to uh, look for opportunities on unique kind of uh, relevant training uh, that we will continue to give our workforce. What is the full name of the PAL? Police Athletic League. I mean, yeah, I, I thought there was something else in there. It's the Syracuse Police, uh, it may be academic, but it's Syracuse, Syracuse Police um, Athletically uh, League is the name. Yeah, I got that. Yeah, I, I was wondering, I thought there was another acronym inside of the PAL, but I just want to make sure. We, well, T, you know, it's always good to see you, man, and hear from you. And as if there's, uh, I, 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 I know that the last thing I had on my list was, that in Minneapolis, they defeated the defund the police. Eric Adams has been elected mayor in New York City, and, and he's rejected that. Uh, do you think that, uh, we talked about this last time, but do you think communities have come around to the fact that maybe that wasn't the right language, but that we have to fund some level of law enforcement in our community? I think that you have seen the silent majority step forward uh, in, in the voters box. Uh, and the silent majority, more often than not, uh, they're objective, uh, they're intelligent, uh, they gather the facts uh, and they make sound decisions. Uh, and then the, 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 in a country that has 300 million guns on the streets of the United States, defunding the police was foolish. Now, do we need to reform police? Yes. Do police need to do a better job of engaging black and brown communities? Yes. Officers who show through their behavior that they do not deserve to be in this profession, do we need to get rid of them? Yes. And we need to be very energetic uh, about that. But we also need to support the police. Uh, this is a very difficult uh, time for anyone in this profession and be encouraging uh, to officers and support them when, when they're doing something good, support them when they're, when they're doing things right. Uh, so, so I certainly think that we can do a better job of that. Uh, but I think that what you saw uh, in a, is a pushback across the country for any of these extreme uh, ideas of, of getting rid of uh, police departments is just is just uh, not something that I don't think that, that our communities were interested in. So Syracuse Police uh, website, Facebook page, where can they find that reform document once again? Uh, on the city's uh, website. City of Syracuse, there's a link okay. For the, the Syracuse government. All right, Syracuse, uh, City of Syracuse website. Chief Buckner, thank you for your time. Appreciate All right, George, appreciate you. Inspiration for the nation. Syracuse Police Chief Kenton Buckner addresses community concerns about crime, police reform, recruitment, and police community relations.